Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Belly to Belly. And today we're here to talk about U.S. expansion. And who better to talk about U.S. expansion with than the head of U.S. expansion partners, David Rose. Welcome, David. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you. And, you know, we're, our audience are companies that are expanding into the U.S. That's who we're really talking to here. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love, you know, we're going to get into a conversation about sort of best practices. But before we do that, if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment to tell, just talk a little bit about your work and how you help companies. And that obviously gives your, any comments you make good context. So if you wouldn't mind yeah, telling sure. us a little so, bit more. Yeah. So my background, I've been in, in tech here in the U.S. my whole career. I started my career with an HR tech company out um, of undergraduate and had a unique opportunity to do a startup inside of that company. Uh, started a new uh, business line and we grew it to $150 million in revenue in less than two years. Bought a $400 million publicly traded company and it's grown into a $5 billion line of business. So that was my first startup inside a Fortune 500 company. And it's kind of all I've done ever since. So I've done five venture-backed startups. I'm a three-time CEO. So I've been doing tech startups in the U.S. for, for many years now and uh, have, have learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. And I just, um, more than anything else, like a lot of things that are coincidental, was contacted by a company who was looking for help with uh, expanding to the U.S. And I had just moved from CEO to chairman of a company. I had some open cycles and I thought, well, I, I sure like you guys. I know how to do that. Why don't I just take that on as a project to help? Not realizing it's a much bigger problem that seems unsolved in the market than I had planned on. So <clears throat> here we go. We're going to start a business to solve for this. That's fantastic. So, you know, we want to we want to talk about, you know, sort of get to best practices. But before we do, maybe talking a little bit about you know, as you look at companies coming into the U.S., what are the big things that they get challenged by as they're as they're looking to expand here? Uh, that's a great question, and that's a huge answer. So I'll try and make it as as because um, there's a lot of pitfalls, and I think one of the big ones has to do with um, with employees, which are going to be your biggest cost when you come to the U.S. And I think there's a couple. So I always think about expanding to the U.S. in in sort of three stages. So you have basically an entity formation. You have to create a company. You have to make it operationally ready. You know, have accounting and banking and HR and those kind of things in places. And then you start thinking about go to market. <clears throat> so I think a lot of times the first first step a company's make is they're just going to come in and want to hire someone without really thinking about how do you create an entity? How do you, how do you have it operationally ready so you can pay bills and make payroll and those kind of things? And then what really is your go-to-market strategies? The first step, a lot of times people say, is, I'm ready to hire. And I think that's a kind of step four. So a lot of times people get ahead of themselves and kind of jump right to that step. And if you do the other three kind of previous to that, you're, I think you'll find a lot more success. And then the other thing around people, I see people doing very quickly is they're going to want to hire a senior executive in the U.S. So they're going to hire, I want to hire a U.S. CEO. I mean, that was a conversation I had with my first clients. We want to hire a U.S. CEO. <clears throat> and it makes a lot of sense on paper. But what you realize is if you go after someone in the U.S. who has a really great CV and great deep experience, right? And so maybe they've worked and maybe you're a tech company and maybe this company, this person you're looking at for your CEO has worked at a great brand like Stripe or Figma or Microsoft or Google, <clears throat> what you don't realize is just because they've had a great career in the U.S. doesn't mean they know anything about starting a business in the U.S. In fact, most people who are a senior executive at Microsoft or Google probably have no idea how payroll works or HR works or insurance works or even how go-to-market works or how to look for product market fit signals because all that's been done for them before. So they're probably a great scaling executive, but probably not so great at a startup executive. 
that makes sense. So yeah, really talking about the the, the timing of uh, personnel and making sure that you have the right people at the right stage of, of the process. It sounds like a, a really massive uh, challenge that a lot of companies deal with. For sure. And I think another really important step is a lot of companies um, make the mistake of because they have really good product market fit signals in their home country, they assume that they're going to have really great product market fit signals in the U.S. and they overhire too quickly. And so I would also recommend, hey, let's start out. Let's kind of do those, those you know, entity formation, operations, go to market hiring in that step. But let's not go hire 10 people, right? You might, you might think you have product market fit signal, but let's, let's hire one or two and let's test our theories. Let's look at our pricing. Let's look at customers, partners, see what kind of traction we're getting and look for signals that we are getting it right before we really scale hiring. Otherwise, you hire a bunch of really expensive people you can't really optimize for performance early on. Yeah, we we actually have our, our clients bring out the back out the business model canvas, and, and it's sort of like, all right, you remember the nine quadrants or the nine oh, yeah. uh, rectangles? Yeah, let's just focus back on the customer segment and the value proposition. Make sure, as you said, we have product market fit before we go and try to solve the other seven uh, rectangles. Let's let's make sure the first two are are appropriate, and those sort of answer the other questions anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It saves you a lot of money because you know, you know, people, you know, professional salespeople specifically are very expensive. And if you're not ready to utilize them to their to their full capacity, you're spending a lot of money that you don't need to spend early on. Well, and and probably also they're going to turn over fairly quick because they're they're not going to find success. And obviously they're somewhat success based and Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it tells people the most important thing they want is to be able to be successful, right? And and right. Um, hit their quotas and make commissions. And if they're not doing that, you're right. In the U.S., they aren't going to stick around long. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really interesting. So, okay. So now we, we've got a couple of things that, that kind of are real landmines for uh, companies coming in. So when you, when you see, um, you know, uh, companies that are successful and or leaders that are successful, in in U.S. market entry, what are the common attributes? What are the what are the things that are sort of you know consistent um, with the the top performers? Well, I think asking a lot of questions and listening is really important, right? So I think there's people who come in and just assume they know how things work in the U.S. and they're just going to go forward. But the ones I find that we're really curious how things work and what the differences are between the markets and the countries and the territories and how the cultures are different and how business is different, ask a lot of questions and really want to understand it, I find um, are much more successful in the long run versus those who are just super aggressive and hit the ground running as fast and hard as they can. Yeah, so asking questions, it, it, it's funny as you were saying that I'm going, it's so ego, ego is sort of, I mean, not to say it's ego is a bad thing because if we didn't have ego, we we wouldn't say let's cross an ocean and, and, and you <laughs> right. know, and sort of, we need, we need that, that's really important, but there's a, I suppose if we're not, listening to whether it's our partners and and you know uh any any folks that are advising us but also if we're not listening to our customers then there are from what you're saying really significant problems yeah for sure for sure and again if you just come and you really want to learn you're, you're going to be more successful if you just want to run hard you have to run hard in the u.s it's super competitive uh in every category <laughs> in every industry but um learning along the way will, will yield much better results yeah no, that's that's really interesting. So, um, and and then uh, you know, looking at um, you know, if, if there's kind of one thing that you say would say a company should focus on, and and uh, you know, I, I, I 
uh, it seems like there are many, but it, it, if there were kind of one big tip uh, that you, you know, 100%, if you don't get this right, it's, it's challenging. What, what, would, what would be the kind of core of that? Well, I'll tell you one mistake I see or mis, one misperception I talk to people about a lot, especially in the technology business, there's, I'll hear um, when I talk to them about, hey, here's kind of the, the steps to create a U.S. entity. And they're like, no, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to hire a contract sales rep on commission only to go sell my products. And one of the things that I talk to people about, and again, I'm not sure it works differently in different regions and different territories and countries, but in the U.S., especially in technology, if someone has the skill set to sell uh, expensive B2B complex software to Fortune 500 companies, they can command a pretty high salary. And if that's the business space you're in, you have to stop and think if anyone would be willing to come work for your company to work for commission only, the only reason they would do that is because they can't get a job anywhere else. And they ultimately don't have those skills or they wouldn't be talking to you. Right. And so I think one well, that's a common mistake of people like, oh, I don't want to start a company. I just want to hire a sales rep to work in commission and drive sales for us. And it, I've never seen that. Work. Never seen that. Work. Well, it, it is. It, it, I, I, we always look at that that first six to 12 months, that first phase of entry as sort of, yeah, you, you certainly want to get, you know, early customers and, and some pilots going and all that kind of stuff. But but parallel to that, you're building a sales system and, you know, sort of a ideally a repeatable process. Um, and the and then all, uh, to, to your point exactly is when people hire sort of the lone wolf salesperson, whether it's a you know commission only or just that single salesperson, it's it feels to me like you're sort of hiring, you know, somebody to drive your car, but asking them to build the car, which is right. really two quite different. For Activities. sure, in, in the same yeah. in that same in that same vein, Bill, a lot of companies think about um, as you get into other industries outside of technology, you might looking for a distributor or a reseller or a partner to take their product to market, and those are legitimate go to market strategies, but only as if only if there is demand in the marketplace for your product, right? And so, if you don't have any marketing support, if you don't have any sales support, if you don't have anything that's going to help drive that demand for your product, you can sign all the resellers and distributors you want, but they're not going to go take it to market unless there's customers asking for it right? and there's demand for the product. So, it's not just as simple as I'm going to sign a distributor. You really have to be thoughtful about how are you going to drive demand for the product in the U.S. to you know, drive business to that distributor and that reseller so they can be successful. And once they're successful, they'll put more into it as well. Right. Yeah, it's always great to see the companies that, you know, have the sort of the partner page and it's just in, you know, it's a solid logos. And then you go and, you know, talk to the CEO about, you know, can you tell me about the productivity of, of the partners? How, you know, what, what do you get out of that? And it, it ends up sounding a lot like the Pareto rule where, you know, 20% are creating 80% of the results. And, and, right. uh, and it, but yeah, the activation of that, of those partners, probably sort of the less better is better, uh, uh, philosophy might might be helpful there, right. but, but yeah. overall, you know, not only kind of go to market, but all those demand strategies, right? So events are an important part of that as well, obviously, right? So you have to get your product in front of customers, and you have to build relationships, it's, and so that's just the overall go to market is, is much more important than than just basically I'm going to hire a sales rep or a distributor, you know, in the U.S. and, and expect uh, you know fantastic sales growth. Well, and and probably a challenge too to sort of outsource sales in that in that you know you'll be you'll be an arm's length then from hearing the customers challenges hearing 
you know, getting the testimonials, all those, all those types of things. So your your the evolution of growth will be, if it works, would be even slower because you don't have the um, the intimacy with the with the customer too. I would guess. Right, right. And yeah. of course, all the other, the other things that we're, we're kind of talking a lot about the the employee side, which is kind of more complex, but there is all kinds of administrative and compliance issues. A lot of people don't realize, you know, if you're coming from a country in Europe, there might be one government jurisdiction and you're not used to dealing in the U.S. You have the federal government and you have 50 states, right? Yeah. Uh, just, we just had a call recently with a company, a client of mine who has sales tax, sales, sales happening in over 10 states in the U.S. And all of a sudden you have to figure out how to do sales tax. And 10 different states. And so there's a lot of complexities people don't realize they're used to dealing with one tax jurisdiction or one governmental agency, not realizing you're going to be dealing with dozens of them in the U.S. And by the way, the rules are often different on a state-by-state -state basis on all kinds of fronts. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not simple. And that's why uh, folks like you exist to, to help companies navigate those uh, those challenging waters for sure. And uh, so it, it, this has been really great, David. I, I appreciate you so much spending the time. And what we'll do is we'll put, you know, your contact info in the description below and, and all that, but uh, okay if people reach out if they have questions. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to talk. I'm always happy to talk with companies looking to come to the U.S. and answer any questions. Um, I love business and love companies coming here. So I'm always happy to talk uh, anytime I get the chance. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you again for, for taking the time today and uh, we'll look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Bill. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Take care.